God wants to speak to us today about confidence. That's a word we just used there. We have confidence in Christ. I think we need to know that. We live in a very wobbly world. We can feel very wobbly. We can feel very uncertain about things. Maybe as we go into a new term, there are things that you're going into and you feel it's uncertain. I'm not sure how it's going to unfold. I'm not sure what the next steps are through this, this spring term as I go into this next term. But we're talking about a confidence that goes beyond what we can see. It's a, it's a hope, it's a faith, it's, a, it's an assurance that we have that is, is not just what we, we see in front of us, it's based on Christ. It's based on the fact that the tomb is empty. Amen. It's based on the fact that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's based on the fact that he's interceding for us now. Just maybe you want to hold out your hands, hold out your heart, hold out your situation before the Lord. Believe there's a gift of confidence that God wants to bring today. Not that funny old phrase, bootstrap. In other words, it's not related to your strength. It's not bootstrap confidence. It's not like, I'll, I'll try better, try harder. It's not that's not the confidence. It's in Christ. It's in the one who is the rock. It's the one who in the prayer meeting was just really speaking to us about walking beside us on the road. It's the one who's with us in the storm. It's the one who takes us through the storm to the other side. Not just a visitation, a pat on the back. He's one who's with us always, even to the end of the age. There's a confidence in Christ. But it requires faith. It's an invitation. I put my faith, I lean my whole weight on the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's where I put my faith. I put my faith in the finished work of the cross. I put my faith in the empty tomb, in the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. I lean my whole weight into him who is risen, ascended and glorified, who's poured out his Holy Spirit. I just want to say today, receive confidence in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and he, he said, receive. Receive, receive strength today. Receive confidence today. Just invite you to, to bring those concerns, those things for the next weeks. How's this going to unfold? How's this going to shape up? Lord, I put my confidence in you. You're my hope. You're my strength. You're my assurance. I lean upon you. Just encourage you today. Let's lean on the Lord. Men and women will let us down. He will never let us down. Circumstances, money, finances, pension funds. He will never 
fail us. He will never let us down. Let's lean on him this morning by faith. As we continue in worship, let's lean on him. Let's put our faith. Let's place those issues, those things, circumstances, let's place them into his hands right now. Good morning, church. Cool, you're looking good. Oh, I'm glad I'll come up here now. You're really encouraging me. So look, Mark was talking about confidence. And that confidence we can have in God, he's never going to let us down, but we have to do our bit, and that's a tough bit sometimes. I'm just going to read this. I think it's, it's, it's a real word for the Apex Church. You guys gathered here this morning and those that aren't here this morning. Apex, do not forget. And I'm looking at myself here, my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and the years of your life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness desert you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why? Because church, you will find favor and you will have good success in the sight of God and man. And that's even better, in the sight of God and man. You've got to trust in in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. I always think I know best. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and and turn away from evil. Why? Because it will be a healing to your flesh. And a refreshment to your bones. We all need refreshment this morning. You might be in good physical nick. But sometimes spiritually, we just need refreshment. And here's the blessing right at the end of this, which is a challenge to each one of us this morning. Honour the Lord. How? With your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce. Why? Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. I want to encourage you this morning with those words. God will do his bit if we will do our bit. And that's the challenge. That's the tough bit of church. That's the tough bit of discipleship. But you know what? He's building all the time. He's building all the time. Every time you guys come in here, he wants to build with you and me. He wants to encourage you and me and say, look, you might have blown it this week, but really, you know, I know your heart. And you guys are really all right. Because I'm all right, says God, and I won't let you down. Let me read a very, very, very famous story to you. Mark chapter 6. The apostles, uh, verse 30, the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot ahead of them from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, Lord, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. He answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. When Jesus directed them to have all the people, sorry, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Do you know the Bible gives such detail sometimes, doesn't it, about certain things? Green grass, why is that there? You can think about that one this week. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten there was five thousand. That was a way of counting in those days. There was probably double that with women and children. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the power and authority that there is in it. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us just in these moments from your words. Reveal Jesus to us. We ask in his precious name. Amen. Feeding of the 5,000. Very, very famous story. Some of us will have known it since we were little children. The thing about some of these famous stories is uh, that we can miss some of the little significant points um, along the way. For instance, who fed the 5,000? Who fed the 5,000? Yeah, it's an interesting one to think about, isn't it? Who fed the 5,000? That's a question. You could just go away now. Some of you are going, Mark, the question is obvious. The answer is obvious. Is it? Who fed the 5,000? But you can so easily just go through a story like that, can't you? I can see the cogs already working. There's a perspective. There's a focus as disciples of Jesus, as we come to the stories of Jesus, as we, as we look, there's a perspective, there's a focus, there's a pair of lenses that we are to look through. We're taking some time to look at the subject of discipleship. And one of the big elements about discipleship is how do you view the world? How you look at the world in which you live. 
the lenses that you wear? How do you view what you have? Money, possessions, position, time. How do you view those things? What are the lenses that you use, that you look through? How do you view your relationships? What's the lens that you're looking at a relationship? How do you view, how do you react to those that are different to you? Whether they're older or younger, different educationally or ethnically. How do you view them? What's the lens that you're looking through? One of the big, big lessons that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, and we're looking at this week by week, we're looking at these red-letter words, as it were, the words of Jesus. One of the lessons the disciples had to learn over and over again was that he had a different view. He saw things differently. And most importantly, he wanted them to see things differently to the world. He was wanting to expose them to a new set of lenses. Kingdom lenses. The kingdom of God. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus meeting the woman at the well. The disciples had gone off into town to buy some food. Jesus sits down at the well um, and then he has this in-depth conversation with a Samaritan woman. I mean, the whole story is profound in itself. Eventually, the whole town comes out to hear what Jesus has to say. And somewhere in the, in the part of that story, the disciples come back. Assume they've come back having found some food and they come back. And they're worried. And they say uh, to him, they say, Rabbi, you need something to eat. And Jesus says to them, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. Well, they get very confused and they say, somebody else must have given him some food. Who? who? Oh, blow. We've just gone all... And all the shopkeepers seem to have shot their shut, shop their shuts? Shut their shops. And they've all disappeared. We had real struggle getting some food. We've gone to all this effort. We brought in the food. And then he says, I've already got some food. Who fed him? Who fed him? What does Jesus say? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's a different perspective. Sure, Jesus' human body, he needed to eat. But there was something far greater and fuller that was satisfying him, that was motivating him, driving him, envisioning him. Here we are again. Lord, it's late. They're they're disciples. These men are fishermen, tax collectors. They do live on their stomachs. There's quite a lot of food you find through the New Testament. Lord, it's late. Send these people away to get some food. I I don't know whether actually it was about them or can they all go so we can get some food? I mean, I'm not sure here. Because if you notice what I read earlier on, they'd already been so busy, they hadn't even had time to eat. Did you notice that in the story? So Jesus said, come on, let's go um, away somewhere remote, somewhere quiet, and we'll have some rest. I assume that Jesus was, they were hoping that there'd be some food there somewhere. Anyway, they get there and there's a huge crowd. So I don't know if they'd eaten the whole of the day or even, you know, who knows how long. So they are a bit driven (laughs) by their stomach. But anyway, they say, Lord, send them away. Um, 
so they can get some feet. What does Jesus say? You feed them. You feed them. Have you, have you ever sort of stopped and thought about this story? In the moment. You imagine standing there. So 5,000 men means at least, conservative estimate, at least 10,000 people. Probably more. There's a lot of people there. You feed them. What? What glasses are they wearing? What lens are they wearing? What's the perspective, their view in that moment? Well, the instant perspective, which is one that is understandable, they do a quick bit of maths. Quick bit of maths. That would take one math. That's, that's eight months' wages at least. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? don't know who said that, whether it was the tax collector, whether it was Judas, so we don't know. There's a practical reality here. It's not wrong to be practical. It's not wrong to be real. But there's something missing. There's something missing. They're not seeing through the eyes of faith. Do you remember as he got there, as they crossed the water and the crowd was already there, what did Jesus do? It says he had compassion on them. He saw something. He saw with the eyes of faith. He saw with kingdom eyes, he saw with God's eye, a, a vast crowd who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Had a, been a privilege to have just two or three days off with one of my daughters and grandchildren this week, but just walking about in the crowds of people a little bit and out on the front and up and down through town and whatever. And I've been, one of the things I've been doing is just looking at people and thinking about people and at times you just, you can just see things in people's faces. See things where people are at. Jesus saw through some lenses. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He, he's, and so he, he begins to teach them. He gives them spiritual food, living food that won't pass away. They sure they could go and get some bread and fish from the nearby village whatever. But he teaches them. He feeds them. But in this moment, they're not seeing through the eyes of faith. They're not, they're not seeing what, as Jesus is seeing, this lens of the supernatural, the, the lens of the kingdom. There's a difference between human maths and kingdom maths. don't know if you know that one. But when the challenge comes... Which one do you turn to first? The human maths or the kingdom maths? Jackie and I have experienced this one over many years and it's been a constant lesson for us. We've had a few dodgy cars in our time. By God's grace, we now have a, a, a car that doesn't break down very often. <laughs> but we have had lots of cars back along when we were students and first in, in ministry in the church, cars that would often break down. And then the car would break down. What, what, which maths do you turn to in that moment? Straight away. Or the house situation. Maybe you're trying to buy a house and it falls through or you can't make the, the maths add up in terms of uh, the house or your renting situation. Which maths do you turn to? Human maths or kingdom maths? 
Things need to change. Maybe you, you come home from work and you're needing to tell uh, your wife, your husband, your partner, your family, my job's coming up for renewal or I've got, to, I've got to change my job or I haven't got a job anymore, whatever it might be. Which maths do you turn to, first of all? What's the lens that you're looking through? I speak to myself before I speak to anyone else. It's a constant thing. We don't know the email we may receive tomorrow, the phone call we may receive next week. Jesus said to them, you feed them. The first thing they go, what? Eight months' wages. Is that really what you want us to do? There's another little phrase there. Jesus says, what do you have? What do you have? Where do I start? What do you have? That's where you start. And then something else that is really, I think, is so good here in, 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 in Mark's version. Go and see. Go and, go and have a look. Go and, go and have a careful look. What do you have? Go and see. Now we know that other versions tell us they found a little boy, whether he was a relative of one of the disciples or whatever, we don't know. But they, they, they went and looked and they found out and they had five loaves and two fish. I just want to take a moment. It's moments like this that I do often find myself going to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. Forgive me if you've heard me speak on these things before, but I want to keep on. These are things, important things to keep bringing to ourselves and reminding ourselves of. It's where the Apostle Paul gives them some instructions about money, particularly in this instance, and about taking up the collection or an offering. 1 Corinthians 16, he says, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. So, and I've said this before, but I just want to remind us again, on the first day, there's something very specific, it's regular, it's timely, it's intentional. Set it aside. In other words, it's not an afterthought. It's not something, it's like, oh, what have I got in my pocket today? Oh, here we are, that'll do. It's, it's, it's set aside on the first day, pick a day, make an intentional, thought-through, timely decision. It's not last minute. He also says save it up. Saving it up. In other words, set it aside and don't let other things rob it or pick away at it. Set it aside. Place it there. Have it ready. It's earmarked. I know for Jackie and I, that's been something. No, that sits there. We're not touching that. It's set aside. It's earmarked. It's kingdom. Another phrase there, in keeping with your income. It's a big subject, we'll talk about it, we talk about it from time to time, we'll keep on talking about it. But this whole thing about giving, but he, he does give, a, I think, what is a, a real moment of grace there. He's saying, what do you have? All right. So he's saying to the disciples, well, what do you have? We don't have eight months wages. No, but what do you have? Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians, in keeping with your income. Okay, so what, what, what do you have? Go and see. It might be a tenth. 
Some Christians very much believe very strongly that they're to give a tenth, a tithe is another word, a tenth of, of their income. I often say, if people get very strong with me about that, is that a tenth of the net or a tenth of the gross? That's a good question to think about. It might be a tenth. It might be a lot more than a tenth. It might be less. It's in keeping. But it's thought through, it's considered, it's not vague. It's not an afterthought. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Take an account. Look at what you have. One of the things about this, Jackie and I are very mindful. We give, like many of you do, uh, month by month through bank standing order. The, the, the weakness of that is it can be a bit out of, out of mind. It's like, oh, it just goes out. It's just something that's there. It's going out. And actually, Jesus, I think, sometimes wants to remind us, go, what do you have? Go and see. And you go, well, hang on a minute. We just need to make an assessment again of what we have. How many loads do you have? Go and see. I want to say something to us. He doesn't ask us to do the miracles. Did you know that? He doesn't ask us to do the miracles. He is the God of miracles. He does the miracles. What he does say is, what do you have? And are you ready to use it? He does the miracle. Are you ready? Am I ready? Are we ready to use what we have? Lord, that would be eight months' wages. Well, okay, what do you have? Well, what we have is five loaves and two fish. One of the little phrases, Ashley will know this one, he's heard me say it many times, that I sort of live with behind the scenes. Do what you can with what you have from where you are. I think sometimes some of us are not willing or ready to start. Because... It's too much of a challenge. It's too big. It's too difficult. It's too stretching, whatever. But actually, we need to do what we can with what we have. I believe that's where the Lord starts with us. What do you have? You say, well, I only have. I only have this amount. Are you ready to bring what you have? For some of us, it will be tiny. For others of us, it will be much bigger. Here's another key point that we know well, and you'll have heard this spoken on these verses before, but it's so key, it's so vital. Remember these lenses again. What's the lens? All right? Don't know how many people, at least 5,000 men, plus all the others, women, children, others who are there. Lord, well, we got five loaves and two fish. The perspective, the lens. What does he do? He looks up to heaven. I don't know what that basket would have looked like. I don't know how big the loaves were. But you look at that and you look at this vast crowd. What's the lens you're looking through? He looks up to heaven. He looks up to heaven and he gave thanks. 
You know, sometimes we're having to teach the children. It's been wonderful watching my, my, my daughter and son-in-law with the two little ones this week and just teaching them the things of God and the ways of God and teaching them to, to give thanks for the little things as well as the big things. It's wonderful to see. I think sometimes with particularly the little things, we forget to give thanks. As a perspective, there's lens that he's calling us as disciples to look through. It is all from him. Everything is from him. It's all of his. Now, yes, we know that this is a miracle. We know God does a miracle here. But there's a, something he's wanting to teach them. He looks up to heaven and gives thanks for what they do have. He gives thanks. See, whenever we're talking about the subject of giving or serving, it's not firstly about the amount. I think for many of us, we get het up, we get caught up on the amount. How much? How much should I give? How much time should I, I give? How much should I do? What should I do? Big debates around tithing and these, these other things. But I believe it's, that's not where it starts. It doesn't start with the amount. It starts with the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. I don't want to give. Well, don't give then. <laughs> Please don't give. I feel so caught up by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life that I want to give him everything. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's not about the amount first and foremost. It's about the heart. But I will add something that the amount often does display the heart. I hope that's okay to say that. It's very quiet in here today. <laughs> but if it's a little tenor afterthought, is that what God is? A little tenor afterthought? Now, for some of you to give £10 out of what your context, where you're in, maybe as a single parent, that might be a very significant amount. So please don't hear me be dismissive of any amount. That's why I'm always so reticent to use amounts. Because for one person, £10 is a huge sacrifice. For another person, it's something that they might not even run across the street to pick up. I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> But you hear my heart, don't you? You hear my heart. It's not firstly about the amount. It's about the heart. But the amount will also display the heart. Let me just remind you, whose is it in the first place? You see... The instant reply, the world's mass, is that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much bread and give it to them to eat? It's completely understandable. The voice of the world, you need to be wise. 
You've heard me say these things before, but it's so important. You need to be wise. We need, we need to set aside. We need to just, you know, rainy day, all of those things. I was talking about the rainy day account a few weeks ago. I was saying to Katie this week, I was sort of apologizing to Katie. I said to Katie, as they were talking about saving and trying to teach the kids a bit on saving. I said, I'm sorry, we never really had much savings. I said, we had what came in and we spent it and the rest, you know, and we were giving, we were giving into the work of the ministry saving, but God has met our need. We didn't, weren't able to do much saving. But the world, the world, you know, eight months' wages, that's the mass. It, it, we need to be wise. But we want Apex to be known as a church community who love the Spirit and who love the Word, the Bible. And so when it comes to serving and giving, we teach on being continuously filled with the Spirit and we teach on the biblical principle of stewardship. In other words, the foundational principle that all that we have is from God. So it's not about how much I give, it's how much I'm going to keep hold of. Because it's already His. We don't actually give God anything. We decide what we're going to keep. It's a different way around. It's a different set of lenses. Everything we have belongs to God. It's all His. It's displaying our trust and our heart by what we do with what He has given to us. Even if at times it doesn't seem to be wise in the eyes of the world. I think I told the story once of a bank manager who, who rang me once. Bank managers used to ring you once upon a time, many years ago. But he rang me and asked me about various things that were coming in and going out of my bank account. And he said, there's this amount of money that you give uh, to your employer. I was employed by the local church. I said, that's my giving. That's my, my, you know, my offering. Ah, he said, I see. Well, we can't touch that then, can we? He he couldn't understand what on earth was I doing. Doesn't seem wise in the eyes of the world, but joyful, faith-filled giving is one of the most significant marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Joyful, faith-filled giving. Do you ever think what it was like for these disciples? The sun is shining on the clock. Oh, there we are. Okay, okay. That's gone a bit faster than I wanted it to. Um, have you ever thought what it was like for the disciples? All right, it's just, just for a couple of moments. 5,000 men plus women. What, you know, Jesus has got this basket. He gives thanks. Just put yourself there as the disciples. It's like, yeah, okay, he's praying. Are they, are they for us? Is he gonna, are we going to have them? And he, he's going to send them away? No, he, he, he breaks. So there's... Twelve disciples, five loaves, two fish. That's not a lot they're being handed, is it? What are we going to do with this? And this is the point I want to say to you again. What are, what are we going to, where, where are we going to do this? Well, there's something quite practical. Jesus makes them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. I think that's very practical. It's manageable. It's bite-sized. I give thanks for this dear woman over here who helps us day by day, week by week, year by year, to think about budgets and constraints and 
Where, where are we at at the moment? How are things going? So things are they're laid out. I want to honour Jill before you. What she quietly does behind the scenes all the time. So thankful for that. So there's something very practical. So Jesus is breaking them down to groups. Okay, so here's a disciple with one-twelfth of five loaves and two fish. I mean, I don't know how much that looks. And at the very least, he's got 50 people in front of him. What do you do? You start with what you have and with the person who's in front of you. Some of us are, not, are afraid to start. I believe the Lord would say to you today, hey, won't you start? Well, where? Look, look, the need is so great. Our dear, dear friend in, in, in Burundi, Donna, Africa, she's about to, just coming back from Australia, she's off out to Burundi in 24 hours, whenever, whatever day it is that she's going back. And you hear the stories and you just think the need is vast. Just to say, I've just been invited, have the privilege in June, June the 8th, to go out and see the work on our behalf and go and be there for a week or so. So I'm very much looking forward to that and be able to come back and tell you firsthand, but also to be able to go. But I know what's going to happen in me is you look at the need and you think, how on earth? And Jesus says, what do you have? And start there. Start with this one. And what happens? It multiplies. Some of us need to be willing to start. Come back to that in a moment. Start with what's in your hand. Start with those in front of you. When we bring the little that we have to the Lord Jesus, it will amaze us every time. He loves our acts of willing obedience and faith. That scripture that Mike read to us, we were laughing, a few of us, because it's exactly the same scripture that Hannah read in the prayer meeting. So it's like, oh, that's good. But right at the end there is as we honour the Lord, as we give to him, so he multiplies. Did you hear that at the end of that proverb? He multiplies. He multiplies. As we surrender to the Lord. And so verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. That's the heart of Jesus. They all ate and were satisfied. I don't know how it happened. I don't know. But I believe it was God. Who fed the 5,000? Did the disciples? Was it the disciples? Was it God? God's hand at work through the disciples' obedience doesn't say that none of them go, Lord, I'm not going to start with this. It's ridiculous. We're going to have a riot. No, they started, I believe what they did was they started with what they had. They gave to the first family and it multiplied. And they gave to the next family and it just kept multiplying. In fact, there were 12 baskets left over. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. It's not just the bare minimum. It's not just a little amount. It's pressed down and running over. That's the heart of God. They were all satisfied. Just want to uh, let you know, we've been looking at the budget for this year. We've been looking at where we're at. Obviously, the costs are rising. I'm aware for that as I speak to you, as I'm aware of that for the church. And so we've had to look at that. 
Um, we believe very much that we want to continue our commitment to Donna and what she's doing in Burundi. In fact, we want to raise that a bit more. So each month we're giving into what Donna's doing. So we want to raise that some more. The other thing, it's just great to hear Ashley sharing about these discipleship core communities, really developing the area of discipleship across the life of the church. And we just give thanks to God for Ashley and Hannah and them as a family and what they're doing. And one of the things we've now committed to is that uh, Ashley will now be working for the church two days a week, which is brilliant. So uh, we want to be able to fund that. So what we're saying to us, each of us as the church it's twofold. Basically, our budget is increased by 10%. So if you're giving £10, that would be £11. If you're giving £100, that would be £110. So we want to invite everybody to be thinking about that. It's a 10% increase. We believe God is with us. We believe he will meet our need. We're very thankful for that. Something that we are regularly mentioning um, as well, it's on the website, is that I want to keep saying to you that for some of us, we haven't really been thinking it through very much. We've just been giving ad hoc. So I want to encourage some of us to start giving. There's gift aid forms at the back if you want. If you're a taxpayer, it's so important that we get that. There's regular monthly giving forms. There's even now a dab box. You can dab on it. Um, so it's there at the back because we don't have much cash these days, do we? But some of us need to begin to start. You say, it's big, it's huge. We're not judging anyone. We're not, asking, we're not giving you a figure where you're to start. What we're saying is, start. Start with what you have. What do you have? Think about it. Give it some thought. Step in, make a start. For some of us, it's about stepping up and giving more regularly. Well, I do give from time to time. Can we invite you? Be more regular. Be consistent with that. Again, we can talk to you about that. We can help you with advice. And there are forms at the back. There's a, there's a percentage that you, a goal to go for. Some of us need a goal. We're going to say, I'm going to step towards that. Jackie and I did step towards that tenth, that tithe. We couldn't do it overnight, so we did it over a period of months. We adjusted how we were living, and we walked towards a tenth. That was something we did many years ago. And then for some of us, we just need to keep stepping over the line, step beyond where we have been been very regular, very consistent. We thank God for that. But the Lord is saying, won't you trust me? Won't you trust me? As we seek to serve the purposes of God in our generation. So that's an invitation that we want to keep giving to you. I also just want to mention serving. Serving is another area. I didn't know how much I'd mentioned about this. I hope John doesn't mind at the back. Dear, dear, dear John. Um, a few Sundays ago, it was Mothering Sunday. If you remember Mothering Sunday, I don't know how many, three, four Sundays ago. John runs the, the PA desk there. That Sunday, Emily, his wife, had COVID on Mother's Day. She was at home. He brought the children. The children were here. John ran the PA that helped us all with our worship. He also 
round the projection of the words because there was no one else on the rotor. Now, there are people, but we've got holes in our rotors. John did all that. He might even have run the camera that morning as well. I don't remember, John, did you? No, you didn't. Just want to honour you, honour your heart, want to bless your new business as it gets launched. Okay, here's a bit of promotion coming. (laughs) Whitevets.com, all right? Whitevets.com. It's been coming a long time, but we bless you. I believe that God will honour you and Emily in the decisions you've taken. And I know your heart, John. I know your heart. So appreciate it. Faithful, faithful serving. But there are some holes. Justine's got quite a big hole in the children. The children are now coming back into the life of the church, which is wonderful. Family's coming back. But from a safety and security point of view, apart from any other reason, we can't continue with our little team as we have right now. Elizabeth's helping, Sarah's helping, Lucy's helping. So we're actually going to probably need to ask mums and dads to take a turn. And if all the mums and dads take a turn, that will only be once every three months maybe. But in order to look after our children and make sure our safeguarding and, and safety is in place and our numbers we're going to need to do that. So these are the kind of things. But there, there are other areas. Kay would love to have some other people welcoming on the door, wouldn't you? That would be really good. Hospitality. We've got holes in the tea and coffee, haven't we? Well, not literally in the tea and coffee. But, uh, um, but uh, so Carl and Maggie and David have just already gone out the back and they'll have the kettle on any second now. Let's stand. I just felt a freedom to bring that this morning. <coughs> There are ways to be involved. <coughs> you think, goodness, you got that from the feeding of the 5,000. But it, there's things Jesus is wanting to say to us. There's a little story, just as we reflect. Some of you will know this story very well. Some of you will be new. There's a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realised everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. (laughs) What do you have? What do you have? Go and see. Go and see. And when you go and see, what lens are you going to look through? Don't believe God is asking any of us to do what we don't want to do. Believe He's a God who is one a God of grace. Freely, cheerfully, joyfully, He invites us. What do you have? Go and see. What's He asking of you?
different things for different ones of us. Just feel the Lord would say to you, don't think about someone else, what they should be doing or ought to be doing. Think about what he's asking you. What's he asking you? And come to him for grace. Come to him for grace. For some of us, we just need to start with the little bit that we have in our hands. We need to begin to to give, to serve, to, to bless. But I believe my own personal testimony and my biblical understanding is that as we bring our offering to him, he multiplies it. He multiplies it. And he blesses us beyond what we could ask or imagine if we will surrender our way to him. So, Father, I pray for each one of us. Help us. Help us. Lord, where we need to be bold and courageous, help us. Holy Spirit, provoke us. Lord, we pray about these lenses. Lord, give us kingdom eyes. Give us Jesus eyes. Give us the eyes of faith from the Word of God that show us something that is different from the world in which we live. Show us the world that you made, your kingdom, your power, your authority. Lord, Lord, we give you these days, we give you our finances, we give you our time. We thank you for every gift that's being used and given in this church in these days. I pray your blessing on each one who serves in whatever way each one who's giving. Thank you, Father, for the generous heart that's already at work here in this body. I pray your blessing on each one who commits their ways to you, commits their giving to you. May they see the multiplication in the kingdom of God. May they, may they see your kingdom coming as they surrender to you. So, Lord, we give you these days and we give you our lives again in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.